Three Worlds Collide, written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Eniash Brodsky. This story has two endings. The first ending was written and posted, and Eliezer said he would write a true ending only if someone could guess the better course of action within three days. The challenge was met, and the true ending was written and posted, along with an epilogue. Chapter 6. Normal Ending. Last Tears. With a sudden motion, the ship's confessor's arm swept outward and anesthetized the Lord Pilot. Today was the day. The streets of ancient Earth were crowded to overbursting with people looking up at the sky, faces crowded up against windows, waiting for their sorrows to end. Akon was looking down at their faces from the balcony of a room in a well-guarded hotel. There were many who wished to initiate violence against him, which was understandable. Fear showed on most of the faces in the crowd, rage in some. A very few were smiling, and Akon suspected they might have simply given up on holding themselves together. Akon wondered what his own face looked like right now. The streets were less crowded than they might have been only a few weeks earlier. No one had told the super-happies about that part. They'd sent an ambassadorial ship, in case you have any urgent requests we can help with, arriving hard on the heels of the impossible. That ship had not been given any of the encryption keys to the human net, nor allowed to land. It had made the super-happies extremely suspicious, and the ambassadorial ship had disgorged a horde of tiny daughters to observe the rest of the human Starline network. But if the super-happies knew, they would have tried to stop it, somehow. That was a price that no one was willing to include into the bargain, no matter what. There had to be that... alternative... A quarter of the impossible possible world's crew had committed suicide when the pact and its price became known. Others, Akon thought, had waited only to be with their families. The percentage on Earth would probably be larger. The government, what was left of it, had refused to publish statistics. All you saw was the bodies being carried out of the apartments in plain, unmarked boxes, in case the super-happy ship was using optical surveillance. Akon swallowed. The fear was already drying his own throat, the fear of changing, of becoming something that wasn't quite him. He understood the urge to end that fear at any price. And yet, at the same time, he didn't, couldn't, understand the suicides. Was being dead a smaller change? To die was not to leave the world, not to escape somewhere else. It was the simultaneous change of every piece of yourself into nothing. Many parents had made that choice for their children. The government had tried to stop it. The super-happies weren't going to like it when they found out. And it wasn't right when the children themselves wouldn't be so afraid of a world without pain. It wasn't as if the parents and children were going somewhere together. The government had done its best, issued orders, threatened confiscations. 
but there was only so much you could do to coerce someone who was going to die anyway. So more often than not, they carried away the mother's body with her daughters, the father with the son. The survivors, Akon knew, would regret that far more vehemently once they were closer to the super-happy point of view just as they would regret not eating the tiny bodies of the infants. A hiss went up from the crowd, the intake of a thousand breaths. Akon looked up and he saw in the sky the cloud of ships, dispersing from the direction of the sun and the Huygen starline. Even at this distance they twinkled faintly. Akon guessed, and as one ship grew closer, he knew that he was right that the super-happy ships were no longer things of pulsating ugliness, but gently shifting iridescent crystal, designs that both a human and a baby-eater would find beautiful. The super-happies had been swift to follow through on their own part of the bargain. Their new aesthetic senses would already be an intersection of three worlds' tastes. The ship grew closer overhead. It was quieter in the air than even the most efficient human ships, twinkling brightly and silently, the way that someone might imagine a star in the night sky would look up close if they had no idea of the truth. The ship stopped, hovering above the roads, between the buildings. Other bright ships, still searching for their destinations, slid by overhead like shooting stars. Long, graceful, iridescent tendrils extended from the ship, down toward the crowd. One of them came toward his own balcony, and Akon saw that it was marked with the curves of a door. The crowd didn't break, didn't run, didn't panic. The screams failed to spread, as the strong hugged the weak and comforted them. That was something to be proud of, in the last moments of the old humanity. The tendril reaching for Akon halted just before him. The door marked at its end dilated open. And wasn't it strange? Now, the crowd was looking up at him. Akon took a deep breath. He was afraid, but... There wasn't much point in standing here, going on being afraid, experiencing futile disutility. He stepped through the door, into a neat and well-lighted, transparent capsule. The door slid shut again. Without a lurch, without a sound, the capsule moved up toward the alien ship. One last time, Akon thought of all his fear, of the sick feeling in his stomach and the burning that was becoming a pain in his throat. He pinched himself on the arm, hard, very hard and felt the warning signal telling him to stop. Goodbye, Akon thought, and the tears began falling down his cheek, as though that one silent word had, for the very last time, broken his heart. And he lived happily ever after. Part 7 True Ending Sacrificial Fire With a sudden motion, the ship's confessor's arm swept outward and anesthetized the Lord Akon. Akon crumpled almost instantly, as though most of his strings had already been cut, 
and only a few last strands had been holding his limbs in place. Fear, shock, dismay, sheer outright surprise. That was the command conference staring aghast at the confessor. From the hood came words absolutely forbidden to originate from that shadow, the voice of command. Lord Pilot, take us through the star line back to the Huygen system. Get us moving now. You are on the critical path. Lady Sensory, I need you to enforce an absolute lockdown on all of the ship's communication systems, except for a single channel under your direct control. Master of Fandom, get me proxies on the assets of every being on this ship. We are going to need capital. For a moment, the command conference was frozen, voiceless and motionless as everyone waited for someone else to do something. And then... Moving the impossible now, my lord, said the Lord Pilot. His face was sane once again. What's your plan? He is not your lord, cried the Master of Fandom. Then his voice dropped. Excuse me, Confessor, it did not appear to me that our Lord Administrator was insane, and you, of all people, cannot just seize power. True, Akon was sane. But he was also an honest man who would keep his word once he gave it, and that I could not allow. As for me, I have betrayed my calling three times over, and am no longer a confessor. With that same response, the once confessor swept back the hood. At any other time, the words and the move and the revealed face would have provoked shock to the point of fainting. On this day, with the whole human species at stake, it seemed merely interesting. Chaos had already run loose, madness was already unleashed into the world, and a little more seemed of little consequence. Ancestor, you are twice prohibited from exercising any power here. The former confessor smiled dryly. Rules like that only exist within our own minds, you know. Besides. I am not steering the future of humanity in any real sense. Just stepping in front of a bullet. That is not even advice, let alone an order. And it is appropriate that I, and not any of you, be the one who orders this thing done. Fuck that up the ass with the hedge trimmer. Are we going to save the human species or not? There was a pause while the others figured out the correct answer. Then the master sighed and inclined his head in assent to the once confessor. I shall follow your orders, Kiritsugu. Even the Kiritsugu flinched at that, but there was work to be done and not much time in which to do it. In the Huygen system, the impossible possible world was observed to return from its much-heralded expedition appearing on the starline that had shown the unprecedented anomaly. Instantly, without a clock tick's delay, the impossible broadcast a market order. That was already a dozen ways illegal. If the impossible had made a scientific discovery, it should have broadcast the experimental results openly before attempting to trade on them. Otherwise, the result was not profit but chaos, as traders throughout the market refused to deal with you. Just conditioning on the fact that you wanted to sell or buy from them was reason enough for them not to. 
the whole market seized up as hedgers tried to guess what the hidden experimental results could have been, and which of their counterparties had private information. The impossible ignored the rules. It broadcast the specification of a new prediction contract, signed with emergency override and imminent harm and confessor flag signatures that carried extreme penalties up to total confiscation for misuse, but any one of which ensured that the contract would appear on the prediction markets at almost the speed of the raw signal. The impossible placed an initial order on the contract backed by nearly the entire asset base of its crew. The prediction's plain text read, in three hours and 41 minutes, the star line between Huygens and Earth will become impassable. Within 30 minutes after, every human being remaining in this solar system will die. All passage through this solar system will be permanently denied to humans thereafter. The following plaintext is not intended to describe the contract's terms, but justifies why a probability estimate on the underlying proposition is of great social utility. Aliens! Anyone with a starship, fill it with children and go! Get out of Huygens now! In the Huygens system, there was almost enough time to draw a single breath. And then the markets went mad, as every single trader tried to calculate the odds, and every married trader abandoned their positions and tried to get their children to a starport. Six. Murmured the master of fandom. Seven. Eight. Nine, ten, eleven. A hollow appeared within the command conference, a signal from the president of the Huygens Central Clearinghouse, requesting, or perhaps demanding would have been a better word, an interview with the Lord Administrator of the Impossible Possible World. Put it through, said the Lord Pilot, now sitting in Akon's chair as the figurehead anointed by the Kiritsugu. Aliens? the president demanded, and then her eye caught the pilot's uniform. You're not an administrator. Our lord administrator is under sedation, said the Kiritsugu beside. He was wearing his confessor's hood again to save on explanations. He placed himself under more stress than any of us. The president made an abrupt cutting gesture. Explain this contract. And if this is a market manipulation scheme, I'll see you all tickled until the last sun grows cold. We followed the star line that showed the anomalous behavior, and found that a nova had just occurred in the originating system. In other words, my lady president, it was a direct effect of the nova and thus occurred on all star lines leading out of that system. We've never found aliens before now, but that's reflective of the probability of any single system we explore having been colonized. There might even be a star line heading out of this system that leads to an alien domain, but we have no way of knowing which one. And opening a new star line is expensive. The Nova acted as a common rendezvous signal, my lady president. It reflects the probability, not that we and the aliens encounter each other by direct exploration, but the probability that we have at least one neighboring world in common. The president was pale. And the aliens are hostile. The Lord Pilot involuntarily looked to the Kiritsugu. Our values are incompatible. Yes, that's one way of putting it. And unfortunately, my Lady President, their technology is considerably in advance of ours. Lord Pilot, 
Are you certain that the aliens intend to wipe out the human species? The Lord Pilot gave a very thin, very flat smile. Incompatible values, my Lady President. They're quite skilled with biotechnology. Let's leave it at that. Sweat was running down the President's forehead. And why did they let you go, then? We arranged for them to be told a plausible lie. One of the reasons they're more advanced than us is that they're not very good at deception. None of this, none of this explains why the star line between Huygens and Earth will become impassable. Surely, if what you say is true, the aliens will pour through our world and into Earth and into the human starline network. Why do you think that this one starline will luckily shut down? The Lord Pilot drew a breath. It was good form to tell the exact truth when you had something to hide. My Lady President, we encountered two alien species at the Nova. The first species exchanged scientific information with us. It is the second species that we are running from. But from the first species, we learned a fact which this ship can use to shut down the Earth starline. For obvious reasons, my Lady President, we do not intend to share this fact publicly. That portion of our final report will be encrypted to the chair of the Interstellar Association for the Advancement of Science, and to no other key. The president started laughing. It was wild, hysterical laughter that caused Akiritsugu's head to turn toward her. From the corner of the screen, a gloved hand entered the view, the hand of the president's own confessor. My lady, came a soft female voice. Oh, very good. Oh, marvelous. So it's your ship that's going to be responsible for this catastrophe. You admit that, eh? I'm amazed. You probably managed to avoid telling a single direct lie. You plan to blow up our star and kill 15 billion people, and you're trying to stick to the literal truth. The Lord Pilot slowly nodded. When we compared the first alien scientific database to our own... No, don't tell me. I was told it could be done by a single ship, but I'm not supposed to know how. Astounding that an alien species could be so peaceful that they don't even consider that a secret. I think I would like to meet these aliens. They sound much nicer than the other ones. Why are you laughing? (laughs) My lady president. Forgive me, but we've been through a lot. Excuse me for asking, but are you evacuating the planet, or what? The president's gaze suddenly seemed sharp and piercing, like the fire of stars. It was set in motion instantly, of course. No comparable harm done, if you're wrong. But three hours and 41 minutes is not enough time to evacuate 10% of this planet's children. The president's eyes darted at something out of sight. With eight hours, we could call in ships from the Earth Nexus and evacuate the whole planet. A soft voice came from behind the president. My lady, it is the whole human species at stake. Not just the entire Starline network beyond Earth, but the entire future of humanity. Any incrementally higher probability of the aliens arriving within that time. The president stood in a single fluid motion that overturned her chair, moving so fast that the viewpoint bobbed as it tried to focus on her and the shadow-hooded figure standing beside. Are you telling me to shut up and multiply? Yes. The president turned back to the camera angle and said simply, No. You don't know the aliens are following that close behind you, do you? We don't even know if you can shut down the star line. No matter what your theory predicts, it's never been tested, right? What if you create a flare bright enough to roast our planet but not explode the whole sun? 
billions would die for nothing. So if you do not promise me a minimum of, let's call it nine hours, to finish evacuating this planet, then I will order your ship destroyed before it can act. No one from the impossible spoke. The president's fist slammed her desk. Do you understand me? Answer, or in the name of Huygens, I will destroy your ship! Her confessor caught her president's body, very gently supporting it as it collapsed. Even the Lord Pilot was pale and silent. But that, at least, had been within law and tradition. No one could have called that thinking sane. On the display, the confessor bowed her hood. I will inform the markets that the Lady President was driven unstable by your news, and recommend to the government that they carry out the evacuation without asking further questions of your ship. Is there anything else you wish me to tell them? Her hood turned slightly toward the Kiritsugu. Or tell me? There was a strange, quick pause as the shadows from within the two hoods stared at each other. Then... No, I think it has all been said. The confessor's hood nodded. Goodbye. There it goes, the ship's engineer said. We have a complete, stable, positive feedback loop. On screen was the majesty that was the star Huygens of the inhabited planet Huygens IV. Overlaid in false color was the recirculating loop of Alderson forces which the impossible had steadily fed. Fusion was now increasing in the star as the Alderson forces encouraged nuclear barriers to break down, and the more fusions occurred, the more Alderson force was generated. Round and round it went. All the work of the impossible, the full frantic output of their star drive, had only served to subtly steer the vast forces being generated, nudge a fraction into a circle rather than a line. But now, did the star brighten? It was only their imagination they knew. Photons take centuries to exit a sun under normal circumstances. The star's core was trying to expand, but it was expanding too slowly, all too slowly, to outrun the positive feedback that had begun. Multiplication factor 1.05. It's climbing faster now, and the loop seems to be intact. I think we can conclude that this operation is going to be successful. 1.2. Starline instability detected. Ships were still disappearing in frantic waves on the Starline toward Earth, still connected to the Huygens civilization up to the last moment by tiny threads of Alderson force. Um, if anyone has anything they want to add to our final report, they've got around 10 seconds. Tell the human species from me. Five seconds. The Lord Pilot shouted, his fist held high and triumphant. To live! and occasionally be unhappy. This concludes the full and final report of The Impossible Possible World. Thank you to the following people. Master of Fandom by Tom Dickinson Lady Sensory by Autumn Rachel Dryden Lord Pilot by Eric Starling Engineer J. Diani President by Melissa Kessler President's Confessor by Paige Smith. 
Ship's Confessor by Drake Walker. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Background music provided by freestockmusic.com. This episode's intro and outro music is Death Star by Atari Teenage Riot. Come back in two weeks for part eight, Epilogue, Atonement. <laughs>